Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at So as we jump into Luke chapter 10, what I want us to see this morning uh, is a sense of urgency for the believer. Now, oftentimes when we think of urgency or urgencies of a message, um, my first thought, and this week as I was thinking about this, my first thought was those who are trying to get to people to tell them about their extended car warranties. Have you ever seen those commercials where people are swimming or diving or, you know, they're in the midst of a hurricane? They have a serious mission to get to the person to give them a message about their car warranties. Or in one of my favorite movies, and I was talking to Heidi about this last night, um, Sweet Home Alabama. I'm not a huge uh, rom-com guy, but that is my favorite rom-com movie of all time. And you walk through this movie, and there's tension and drama of Reese Witherspoon like going back to her southern roots and feeling like she needs to stay. But at the end of the movie, we find this drama of her potentially marrying a man who she was having uh, tension with in regards to should I marry him or should I stay home and and fall back in love with the guy that I originally married. And in comes this lawyer, right? At, at At the peak of their wedding, as she's walking down the aisle, in comes this lawyer and says, Uh, Melanie, which is her name at that time, you are still married, and you are a hard woman to get a hold of. He was on a mission to give her a message because she had not signed her divorce papers, and she could not walk through another wedding or be married to this new guy. And for her, that was the revelation, I need to make a change, and I need to go where my heart is leading me. But more importantly for believers, we have a message that is urgent to this world, So more important than this lawyer, more important than people coming and telling you about your extended car warranty or whatever thought you can have for urgency, we have to recognize as believers in Christ, we have an urgent message for this world, which means we must live on an urgent mission in this life and with the people around us. And so what I want us to see this morning as disciples of Jesus who have an urgent message, we must live with that urgency. We must live with, as we'll see in this passage, an urgency of the mission that we have been called to, the urgency of the message we have been given, and an urgency to the world's response as people will hear and ultimately reject us. We still need to have an urgency of sharing with them even in their response. So let's jump back into Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 1, and see what Luke has to say about Jesus sending out these 72 disciples. Luke writes, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsacks, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages." Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. 
But whenever you enter a town and say, do not, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that in the, for those in that town. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre or Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment of Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears me, the one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Let us go to him in prayer and ask him to reveal more of his message and his grace to us this morning. Lord, you are gracious and merciful. And we thank you for this goodness and grace that you have given to us as your sons and daughters. Lord, I ask this morning as we read your word that we would see the urgency that you have given to us in sharing your good news of Jesus Christ that we would have urgency to share with those you have placed around us for the sake of the gospel. Encourage us this morning to have joy, that even though following you is costly, it's worth it. And in this costly sacrifice, we can see and are a part of your good works of calling people to yourself. Lord, what a joy that is to be able to be a part of this work of salvation that you have called us to. It is a humbling reality that we know that you can do this all yourself, and yet you invite us into this work. Lord, give light to this text this morning. Help us to have ears to hear and wisdom to receive it so that we may trust you as king of our lives and be obedient to the things that you call us to do. As your servant this morning, speak through me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It is for your glory and our joy that we praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to first talk about the urgency of our mission. If you remember from a few weeks ago, we left off with Jesus giving three would-be disciples a call to ministry and a cost to following him, telling them to count the cost of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And these three would-be disciples all had excuses as to why they could not immediately follow Jesus. One was for comfort. The second one was a a delay in his discipleship. And the third was to be that he was caught up in the cares of his own life and the cares of the world. And Jesus told them to forsake those things, to not delay, to not be disobedient, but to follow him. And he calls us to do the same. But here's why that call and him telling those would-be disciples the cost of following him, here's why it's so important. It's because he immediately sends his disciples who are following him into a mission, an urgent mission with an urgent message. And he is telling us, as well as those would-be disciples, you cannot have your heart divided. You cannot be caught up in the cares of the world, the comforts of your own life, or wanting to delay your discipleship because we have an urgent message. And what's interesting is we find in this passage that he doesn't send them alone. 
He sends them out 72, two by two, in order to go and share the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, there are many debates as to why he sent out the 72, or some have even said it's 70, and I don't really want to get into them. They are interesting, and you can find some fun facts maybe this week as you read about them, but what I want us to see the point of why Jesus calls this group of 72 other disciples, you'll notice that Luke uses that phrase, others, because he's pointing out that these aren't necessarily the 12 that he called out. He already did that in Luke 9 and sent the 12 out on their mission. Here he is sending out 72 other disciples, showing us that the work of evangelism is not for the 12 apostles alone, but everyone who claims to follow Jesus. That means you, that means me, that means everyone in here today, 2,000 years later, we have the same mission to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And we see this in verse 1, after the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. There were more towns that needed to know and hear the kingdom of God and that he was coming to them. And so he had to send out, as he was on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to die on the cross, proclaiming the kingdom of God, there was more work to be done. And Jesus was sending more people with this urgent message that he was coming. But we also see Jesus sending his disciples two by two. What's interesting, I've seen commentators say there's multiple reasons of why he would have sent them two by two, but the, the reality all comes down to the same thing, and it's really the human experience, right? It is easy to go and proclaim the gospel, or a little bit easier, when we are going with one another, right? When we have encouragement or comfort or accountability of going with others, but what he's also doing is he's also fulfilling the law set in Deuteronomy 19.15. Moses writes this, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. As we'll see at the end of this passage, there is a charge against those who would, re- who would reject the kingdom of God. And so what Jesus is saying is, in order for us to proclaim, and then for these people to reject, and for any credible witness, in order for God to remove himself from them, or for them to receive condemnation and judgment, we must follow the way in which the scriptures and the law show us the right way is, which is having a second set of people, or another set of eyes, or a witness not just one person proclaiming judgment upon someone else. And so Jesus is fulfilling the law here, but what we can also draw from this, especially with being sent two by two, with the encouragement and comfort and accountability, is that sharing the gospel is not an individual endeavor. It is supposed to be a community endeavor that we come alongside one another and share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so as a gospel community, as a church, this should be our mission. It shouldn't just necessarily be just one of us going out and being a great evangelist. This is something that all of us should be endeavoring together in this world. But here's the issue. It's the same today as Jesus gives in this passage. There are not enough laborers. As Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. What's interesting here is that Jesus' first task in this urgent mission and message he gives to his disciples isn't something that we might do ourselves. He tells them to pray for workers. Now, if you're like me and you like systems, you like to, way, like to think through ways in which people will garner influence or creating something that might actually work and draw people in, that is what you might think Jesus' first thought would be. Maybe if we just get our message out, or maybe if we just have some good social media to send out to people, or whatever we might do in regards to systematizing our discipleship, Jesus' first task for those who he's sending out is to pray. Pray for workers. Why does he say that? Well, one of the reasons I think he says that is because he recognizes that the harvest is work. It is important work, but it is hard work. And it is not often that we step into hard work. We need our hearts transformed. We need our hearts motivated. We need to be encouraged to go and do this work. That's why we must remember constantly what Jesus has done for us so that it would inflame our joy to go and fulfill this mission. But I think there's also another reason that we see here of why we must pray for workers, and it is because the harvest is the Lord's and the workers are the Lord's. And so Jesus calls his disciples to pray for more workers through the Lord of the harvest. And we must do the same. We must be praying for more missionaries. We must be praying for more church planners. We must be praying for more believers who are going to share the good news of Jesus Christ who will come alongside us and our work because the promise is still the same. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so we pray for workers, but we pray in confidence, and we also go in confidence. I want you to see here in verse 1 why we can have a foundation of confidence when it comes to praying and going as the Lord calls us. Look back at verse 1. The Lord says, or Luke says, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them on ahead of him. He appointed and he sent He appointed and he sent where he himself was about to go. Brothers and sisters, if you believe in Christ Jesus as Lord, guess what? He has appointed you and he has sent you. As 1 Peter 2.9 tells us, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellency of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If you are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and you hope in the resurrection of life to come, he has appointed you. He has called you to himself and he has not left you to your own. He has given you a task. He has given you a mission. He has sent you out. This is what he tells us in John 20, 21, as he tells the disciples before he leaves, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. We are a sent people. And he hasn't sent us to some random place where we are 
unaware of the people around us. He hasn't sent us to a place that He has not sovereignly decreed for us to be. It is in His providence, in His mercy, in His grace that He has placed you where you are, at your job, in your neighborhood, in the coffee shops, in the communities that you are constantly in. He has placed you there for His glory and the purpose of sharing the kingdom of God. It is not some random event. It is by his good purposes that you are where you are because you are sent. And this also means that you and I, we need to be praying for more workers to come, come alongside us where we are in order for the gospel to be spread. But we can have confidence in praying. We can have confidence in going. We can have confidence in sharing the kingdom of God is near because the Lord has placed us where we are. Now you might think, well, I took a job here in Indianapolis. I bought this house. It was all me. No, if you believe the sovereignty of God, you understand that it was his plan for you to be where you are in order for the kingdom to be shared. Because we have a mission driven by the message of Jesus Christ. And we must be like Paul who says in Romans 10, to have beautiful feet. I love this passage. He says, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him on whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone, someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Paul here is quoting Isaiah 52 as he talks about someone bringing good news over the mountainside. And in Isaiah, as well as Jewish history, someone bringing good news over the mountainside meant that victory had been won. Oftentimes, these messengers would come from far-off wars or battles, and what these messengers were given a task to do is to run quickly to tell the city victory had been won by the king. So now we can rejoice. Now, if they had lost, this messenger would be very slow. So what would happen is those who are on the watchtowers would be looking at the feet of the messengers. And if the messengers' feet were quick and happy and in a cadence of, we have won, then they would tell the city, we can rejoice because victory is ours. And so is the same with the beautiful good news of Jesus Christ. And how beautiful are those feet who can go into the world and share, you can have victory you can have a sense of worth and value and dignity found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Come and worship him. Repent of your sins and believe in him as Lord and Savior of your life. This is the type of joyful urgency that Jesus sent his disciples out with and that he sends us into the world with as well. Worlds, yeah, world with as well. And so we must have an urgency about our mission. But we also must have an urgency with our message. Now, I, I got some of these points from a, a pastor named Joe Thorne up in Illinois. And I want to take them and adapt them and, and show them the, the beautiful reality of this passage. But I want us to see first and foremost when we read through what Jesus had to instruct his disciples, it all had a foundation of urgency. This message has an urgency about it. So he starts in verse 3 with this, go your way. Go now. 
there's an urgent tone. You must go now. And as Jesus leaves his disciples in Matthew 28 with the Great Commission in saying, go and make disciples of all nations, we understand that Greek phrase is, as you are going, make disciples. There's an urgency that where you are, where you've, where you've been placed, you are to make disciples disciples, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. It is not a passive command to go. It is an active one. As H.P. Charles Jr. once said, God does not call the world to go to the church. He calls the church to go to the world. This is our mission. As we are going, we have an urgency to share the good news. But there's also some instruction as you're going. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So what Jesus is doing is preparing his disciples. You're going to be in danger. You're going to be like a lamb in the midst of wolves. So be prepared for danger. Be prepared for persecution. Be prepared for people to be against you because the gospel message is offensive. But you also need to be like a lamb in your character. You need to be meek and mild and innocent. We do not need to be arrogant people. We do not need to be strutting around and and causing harm to sharing the gospel message. We need to be meek and humble and mild as we share the good news of Jesus Christ. This is our disposition because we follow the great lamb who kept his mouth shut and endured beatings all the way to the cross. Another preparation that Jesus gives to his disciples is to carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. What Jesus is ultimately saying is, trust me for provision. Trust me that I have set up men and people and houses of peace that you can go to and live in and receive the, the food that you need from, but trust me for your provision. Don't carry things that will hinder you as you go. Now, if we take this to today's world, we are to not accumulate things that are going to hold us as attachments. And I'll be the first to admit, I, I have a problem with this, right? When I got married, Heidi came in and was like, you need to get rid of all these shirts and all these socks, because I love shirts and I love socks. And every single shirt that she brought up, I could be like, ah, but I have attachments to that. I can tell you where I got that shirt or why it's so important. It's really not important. But we have things in our life that we hold on to as attachments and they tend to stick to our hearts. But they're not eternal. They're not things that we should be focusing on when it comes to the mission and message of Jesus Christ. Don't accumulate things that are going to hold your hearts. Or as Jesus says, don't store up treasure here on earth. And what's interesting is Jesus says, greet no one. Now, Jesus is not telling them to not be nice or give greetings and salutations or or anything like that. He's not telling them to be rude. Clearly, they have to talk to people in the cities that they go to. What Jesus is saying is do not get distracted. You see, Near East greetings often led to drawn-out conversations, hours upon hours It was not necessarily just stopping and saying hi. It was more like a Midwestern goodbye that ended up being two to three hours before you actually leave somebody's house. Even though you're like, well, I'm out. You say that 12, 15 times and you're still at that house. 
Jesus is saying, Greek no one means do not be distracted. You have a singular mission to get to these cities in order to share the message of the gospel. The next, the next thing he tells his disciples is that whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house, and whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. What Jesus is saying here is, on your mission, embrace hospitality. Don't sit there and say, no, I can do this myself. I I can find food on my own. No, the Lord has provided, so embrace the hospitality that is given to you. But don't exploit it. You see, when you come to a town or you come to a home and you say, peace be with you, and there is a son of peace, what that meant is that son of peace didn't necessarily have to be a believer, but it was somebody who was okay with their mission. And they were welcoming them in their home. And they weren't rejecting them or rejecting what they had to say. And so they would extend hospitality to these disciples. And so because they were entering into believer or non-believing homes of people who believed in the mission of Jesus, oftentimes they might come across people who are giving them food that they could get into arguments with dietary laws. And so what Jesus was trying to say is do not worry about the food in front of you. Except, in, in, instead, accept their hospitality. Accept their food that they put before you. Accept what the culture that they have in their home has been brought to you. And embrace it for the sake of the gospel. That reminds me, when I was in high school, I would go to South America, uh, specifically Peru, into the Amazon rainforest. And the, the things that they would say to us every time we went on these mission trips is, when food is given to you, do not reject it. Because it is a disgrace and a dishonor. Because oftentimes people are making food with their livelihood. And so what that meant for me is that we would eat things like guinea pig or... The famous story for me is eating a grub worm in the Amazon rainforest because people were offering it, and I took that serious. We could not reject it. But for the sake of the gospel, we must have the same attitude. And this is what Jesus is telling his disciples. And we must be thinking through when we come into maybe unbelievers' homes, what we might not do at home, maybe we do in their homes in order for the sake of the gospel. Now, I will say We don't do sinful things. We don't do things that are going against our conscience. But there may be things, you know, maybe we don't drink alcohol at home. But in a home of an unbeliever, if they're offering you wine because this is a part of their culture, it may be a rejection or unhospitable for you to not drink that glass. Or it might even be food. Whatever it might be that is not against your conscience or against the scriptures, we need to have some freedom in order for the gospel to be spread and for us to embrace the hospitality that is in front of us. But the disciples were also told to not exploit the hospitality found in these cities. They were to go to one home, and if that home accepted them, that meant the city had peace upon them. But they were not to go door to door and trying to get more food or get more things and whatever might be given to them by these homes. Because Jesus did not want them to be comfortable or to get distracted, or as many people can do, 
exploit the hospitality of others. The next thing he says, and oftentimes in the book of Luke, we have found this to be true. He says, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Preach and proclaim the gospel and practice compassion and mercy. Throughout the gospel of Luke, we have seen the healing of the sick has always been coupled with, excuse me, the proclamation of the kingdom of God. And this shows us that Jesus doesn't just care for our souls, even though he does. He also cares for the needy and the health and the needs that are around us as believers. Salvation is for the lost, yes. But over and over, the scriptures call us to care for the orphans and widows and those in need. And so we must provide, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we must provide this compassion and mercy. We must be ambassadors of this grace that the kingdom calls people to. So it is not just that we live by word that the kingdom of God is near, but we also live by deed, as the book of James would tell us. Yes, salvation is found through Jesus alone, but we are also called to be a people who show mercy and compassion through our actions, through our works, through our deeds. Because they are always connected. So these are the instructions that Jesus gives to the 72. And he gives them to us as well. But as I said earlier, they convey one message. Urgency. Urgency that these towns hear the kingdom of God is near. And they see that the kingdom of God has brought mercy and compassion and peace. The disciples of Jesus, including us, are not to live distracted or divided lives. We must have an urgency with our message. Just as Jesus called those three would-be disciples in two weeks ago's passage to not delay in their discipleship, to not be divided, to not be distracted, he too tells us the same. Yet how often do we live and allow even the good things in our life to distract us or delay us from discipleship? Even in, our non, even in our relationships with non-believers. How many of us have really good friendships with non-believers and we have never gotten to the gospel message? I know I have. And I know I'm not the only one in here. But we have a message. And we have a mission. And we must live with urgency. I'm not saying that we need to slam things down people's throat. I'm not saying that we shouldn't share life in the gospel. But if we're only sharing life and never the gospel, we are missing the mark. We are missing the urgency of our mission and our message as disciples of Jesus. As J.C. Ryle says about the instructions Jesus gave to his disciples, He says, they ought to remind us of the necessity of simplicity and unworldliness in our daily life. We must be aware of thinking too much about our meals, our furniture, our houses, and all those many things which concern the life of the body. We must strive to live like men whose first thoughts are about the immortal soul. And we must endeavor to pass through this world like men who are not yet at home and are not overmuch troubled about the fare they meet with on the road or at the inn. Blessed are they who feel like pilgrims and strangers in this life, and whose best things are all to come. 
Brothers and sisters, this life is too short and eternity is too long. And we are not, we are not God. We do not know when someone's time will be up. Therefore, we cannot live divided or distracted lives when it comes to sharing this message of Jesus Christ and that he has brought hope to this world and that it is only through him that our sins can be forgiven and we can have a right and restored relationship with God. This is our mission and this is our message and we have to have urgency in this life. But it's also important for us to remember that this world will not understand the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, as Paul reminds us, there are some that will reject it. Some that don't see it as a fragrant aroma, but a stench of death. But one of the things that we must do when it comes to the urgency of the world's response is to help them understand the bad news in order that they can perceive the good news that we are proclaiming. You see, it's not just enough to say, Jesus is Lord, repent of your sins, if people don't know why sin is wrong and who it's offended and where they are going to if they don't repent. And this is what Jesus is warning the disciples about when, he comes, when they come to these cities and reject his message. He says, whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of our town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day of Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazan, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it, be, it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, you will, be will you be exalted in heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. What Jesus is saying is if you reject, if they reject you, they reject me, and they reject the one who sent me, and the condemnation is on them. And yet as disciples, we have to understand when these disciples, these 72 went out to these cities and towns. Whenever they were going to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, they were messengers of Jesus. They were messengers of the King. This message and our message today is first and foremost Jesus' message that he brought to earth. And therefore, those who reject him, those who reject us, reject him and they do so at their own risk, at their own peril. And nowhere, does, nowhere in Scripture does Jesus make this more clear than here in this passage. That if they reject us, they reject the 72 disciples, they reject us as disciples, they are rejecting him. And they are rejecting the Father who sent him. And Jesus says there is a woe, woe to you. This is an expression of sadness and regret that these cities would not accept him as Messiah even though they've seen his miracles, even though they've seen him proclaim the goodness of the kingdom, even though they've seen him heal the sick and raise people from the dead. They are still rejecting him. As we learned a couple weeks ago, they were unconvinced that he was the true Messiah. 
And when Jesus speaks of this day that is coming, he's referring to that final day of judgment where he will judge and he will render his verdict on everyone who has ever lived. And he's saying that some will be pardoned because they have received everlasting peace through him. And yet some who have rejected him will be condemned to everlasting destruction because they have rejected his call to receive him. Jesus makes a sobering comparison here when he talks about judgment. For those listening to his message, to those who have heard his disciples, to those who have seen his miracles and his works, and yet they have not trusted in him, he has compared them to Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, if you know your Old Testament, well, you know that Sodom was a terrible city. And it was terrible because it rejected the Lord and it pursued immorality. And what happened? God destroyed it with fire. In an instant, his wrath was poured upon that city. And yet Jesus says that those who have seen his goodness and mercy, those who have seen his miracles, those who have heard him preach on the kingdom of God and still reject him, it will be worse. It will be worse for them than the wicked city of Sodom, of Tyre, of Sidon. Because Tyre, Sidon, Sodom, they did not have Jesus walking among them. But these cities did. Bethsaida and Capernaum. They saw his miracles. They saw his signs. They saw the proof that he was the Messiah, and yet they rejected him. And this is the same warning for anybody today. And it's why we must have urgency in sharing the bad news so that the good news can be seen. We must share the weightiness of people's decisions when they hear about the message of Jesus Christ. We must let them know Now, I would not advocate standing on a street corner and telling people that they are going to burn if they don't repent. But I do advocate sharing the whole truth and the whole reality that there is life after this life. There is eternity, but eternity of destruction and torment for those who have not trusted in Jesus as Lord. And I want to give a challenge to those of us in here today who have gone to church our whole life, who have heard the good news of the gospel, who have not received him as Lord, but you have had the light of the gospel shown to you. This is what Jesus is saying. This is the warning that you are given. The more light that has been shown, the more that the gospel has been made clear, and yet you reject him, the more wrath and the more worse it will be for you than those who have not heard that same gospel and that same light. And so here is the urgency, and here is the warning that we must give and have in our messages, in our mission of sharing the kingdom of God. Now, I don't want to close on such a sober note (laughs) because I do want to close with this message of joy. As J.A. Metter says, gospel mission grows out of gospel enjoyment. 
all that we've seen in this passage today, all that we've heard through Luke of being sent out as believers, as disciples, I pray that you would find comfort and hope and joy in the Lord of the harvest, that he has called you his own and that he has sent you out into this world to be a part of the greatest redemptive plan ever created. He is a God who calls and sends. And I pray that you would have joy that he has called you to this mission. And in this enjoyment, you would go and tell others the gospel. As Martin Luther has once said, we are just beggars trying to tell other beggars where to find bread. Gospel mission is more than just swaying people from eternal damnation. It is inviting them to the table of glory where God satisfies their soul. And I hope that you know that truth for your own soul this morning, and I hope you meditate on it daily, but I hope that it also transforms your heart and mind to go and share this good news of Jesus Christ, and that we may be the most joy-filled people that this world has ever known, because we have a deep abiding assurance that the King of the universe, who has authority over all heaven and all earth, who has commanded us to go and make disciples, he is with us. And he has promised that the harvest is plentiful in this wonderful endeavor. So brothers and sisters, do we have urgency in our mission? And do we have urgency in our message this morning? Are we praying for more workers? Are our feet running to proclaim victory? Do we have an urgency about what we are sharing and what we believe? And do we do it with confidence and joy? Because God has appointed us, and God has sent us, and his word tells us that his church will not be overcome. So let us take this mission, and let us take this message seriously, and go with urgency. One of the tangible ways that we enjoy this gospel message every week is through the means of grace, through communion. Here we have a picture of what this amazing grace looks like in the bread and the juice because it represents Christ's body being broken and his blood being shed and a new covenant being made for his people. And all the wrath of God that would be against our sin, against our rebellion, against our unrighteousness has been poured out on Jesus for our sake. So we receive this means of grace with joy as a beautiful reminder of what Christ has done for us. But I also want us to remember this isn't just the individual act of communion, but a corporate one. It's why we do it together as a body of believers, and it's why we do it every week as we gather, because Christ's blood has made a way for us to be the people of God. And I want you to see that as plural, people of God who are saved and redeemed. And so we take this communion looking back at who we once were, looking around at who God has called and saved, and looking forward to where we will be in eternity as we will gather one day as saints all together. So I want to invite you to the table, and I'm going to give us some instruction on communion as we go back to our seats, and then we are going to worship and celebrate through this means of grace together. So would you come and grab the elements?
Before we take communion, I want to instruct us as I've instructed us every week to examine our own lives. Examine our own hearts where as believers we can have a breaking in communion because of sin we have unrepented towards or asked forgiveness for. Um, But also examine our own lives in regards to our relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ. When we come together and gather, we are reflecting what is to come in eternity that we see in Revelation 7. But when we have a breaking of relationship, we are showing the, the, the fractured and disunity of the people of God. And so that is why it is important, and it is one of the instructions of communion, that before you take communion, you are to go and make reconciliation with your brother and sister in Christ, much like you are to make reconciliation between God and yourself when it comes to unrepentant sin. And so I would encourage you to do, the, do both in the next coming minutes as uh, you examine your own hearts and your own lives and your relationships with one another. But also examine your own hearts as non, uh, a non-believer in here. If you have not trusted Jesus as your Savior, I would ask you refrain from taking communion because it is a celebration of what Christ has done for those who he calls his own. But I would encourage you to examine what it means to be a believer of Jesus Christ, to be a disciple who follows him. And if you want to know more about what it means to trust in him, come see me, come see Ransford. We'd be happy to share the gospel with you. But I would encourage you to refrain this morning. So I'm going to give you guys a couple minutes, and I'll come and lead us in communion through 1 Corinthians, and then we will worship together by taking the bread and the juice. Let's pray.